Hey Devin, I've got this. I've got this idea. Oh, hit me. So, I was thinking we could do a podcast, and in this podcast we talk about laundry and storytelling. Okay. Kind of combine the two, mostly laundry, and in this we upload weekly. Oh. Every single week we try to. We just every boom, boom, week. Boom. Every week. Are you sure we about get that? An episode up. I think we can do it. Ah, that sounds a little bit difficult, honestly. <laughs> Every week? Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. I, like, what's hard about that? There's nothing hard about that. Oh, man. Anyway, welcome back to Folded Sheets and Story Beats Episode 7. Welcome back. Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2022. Let's start off by introducing our new guest. Yeah. This week's guest. His name is Chris. Hey, Chris. Hello, Chris. Hi, guys. How are we doing? So good. So excited to be on this. Yeah. Chris is an avid listener of the podcast. It's his favorite show. He's called us a few times. He's been blasting my Twitter. He's been blasting the email. He gets on the Instagram, and he likes all the posts about the thing. Shut up, Chris. You're supposed to play along. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I listen every single week. I've listened to every episode that's come out in the past four weeks. And we've never missed a week. Never and Chris missed has never week. missed a week that we posted. Anyway, he listens to him right he as wanted they come to out. be in. He wanted to be in, and so we decided to let this huge fan of the show just be on the podcast with us. So. Huge fan of the show. No other relation to us. No writing groups. I don't even know his last name. No friends. Like I don't know his wife's groups? name. That's so cool. Never been to his house. Sounds fun. I don't. I don't know what brand of fiction he writes. I don't know Bad the guy. names of his main characters and his side characters. So this week we're going to be discussing storytelling through the medium of puzzle games. Good time. The two games that we're going to be focusing on are Portal. The Portal series, specifically Portal 2, because that one's got kind of a real meaty story. And the Talos Principle. And I have a, just, I'm just going to be outright with it. I've had three months to play the Talos Principle, and my progression is as follows. The game is installed. It took two months to get us that far? And that's it. That's it. That's all she wrote. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's installed on my computer. I'm looking at the never before clicked icon on my desktop right now mm-hmm. so we're gonna make fun so, of that lots w- i i have given devin and chris just an unlimited bully elijah pass and they will use it liberally not that we don't do that already not to, not that they need it all right so chris do you want to like do you want to introduce yourself for real <laughs> instead sure. of me just lying sure. <laughs> what, you, what do you guys want me to say <laughs> Tell us your repertoire in terms of understanding stories. That's a fair understanding. Okay. Do you want to, like, you give me an introduction? Or, yeah, just go. Just go. Hi, guys. I'm Chris. I've been reading stories since I was a kid. Um, I really got into science fiction, actually, as an early youth. Uh, I loved Ender's Game. That was probably my favorite novel growing up. Um, and then I kind of genre swapped into fantasy, though I do still upon occasion read some Asimov or good sci fi. But now I read a lot more Brandon Sanderson and Tolkien and 
good fantasy novels. And I write in the fantasy genre as well. I've been writing for five years now, question mark. Uh, and I have subjected these four, these poor fools to lots of different stories in that time, none of which are finished. But, but all are good. <laughs> they are very good. This is actually interesting to me. Um, we had Megumi on the show a few weeks ago. Um, but the three of us and Megumi are the original members of the writing That's group. That's right. Everyone else, like yeah. we have been around. So we've been around since 2018. And the four of us were all in Brandon Sanderson's class together. So this marks so four cool. years. This so is we, basically the week of our four-year anniversary. Yeah, actually this week, yeah. which is really cool. That's, like we would save <laughs> seats for each other in his class and we'd all sit two rows from the front row. Oh, yeah. Front Brandon and Sanderson's center. creative writing science fiction fantasy storytelling class so pretty cool yeah anyway that's a side fact now the the main reason that we brought in chris is because he is our subject matter expert when it comes to puzzle games so right chris and i are going to have an educated conversation about <laughs> portal and the talos principle and Eli i don't think will be any here. conversation hold on i don't think any conversation between you and chris can ever be called educated just as that's an oxymoron you can't do it and mm -hmm. you you can include me in that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no conversation i ever have is educated it does I, no that's it how many months did you have start. to play the talos principle <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> so, like I said, Chris and I are going to have educated conversation about <laughs> Portal and the Talos Principle. Eli will be here to input his opinions, I guess. I'll ask questions. Yeah. You know. I'm the voice of the listener anyway. <laughs> yeah, this is... That's fair. No one ever said they'd be mature conversations, but educated. Informed. Also, How about informed? informed? Is that I... a better term for you? There you go. <laughs> there you go. The, the one key word that we need to avoid is intelligent. That's fair. I'll give you that. But all three of us have played Portal 2, so there is going to be that common ground. Yes, true. But uh, yeah, Chris, Chris, you have a just riveting conversation ready for us. I, I think it's take just take us off. I you've been wanting to do this for ages. Champing at the bit. Oh my goodness, I don't even know where to start. He's uh, way more prepared than we've ever been for one of our episodes. So this will be good. Let's talk about portals. Let's let's talk about portal because thinking with portals is. A concept that I feel like we weren't familiar with at some point in our life and then we were introduced to this concept of thinking with portals mm -hmm. and like I feel like as a kid you just think about what if I could teleport anywhere or what if I could just mm -hmm. make portals to go anywhere but then this game just brought this idea to life for us and helped us to understand the physical implications of having a portal device and what that means as far as our ability to travel and our ability to solve puzzles and our ability to think literally outside the box mm -hmm. and i feel like it's kind of groundbreaking in that way it was portal one was a pretty early in the puzzle game genre i mean it's no pong or mr game and watch mm -hmm. but it's a fond memory i think for most early gamers what was your experience with it what what do you guys remember about first playing portal i was in high school and i i had never played a puzzle game like it before and i think i was expecting a first person shooter right because you mm -hmm. open the game and it's your hand with the portal gun in front of you and you don't actually see your character unless you're looking through a portal that angles that way and so i and i actually uh, my my a friend of mine was playing it and then i went and bought it at his direction mm -hmm. and 
there's just something really amazing about being able to put a portal wherever you want, two portals, and you get to go through them and just defy anything you've been able, ever been able to do in a game before. Yeah. Because I can put a portal over there, put a portal right here by me, and then I walk through it. I've walked two steps, and now I'm across the room. Very cool. Mm-hmm. But also, I can put a portal on the ground 500 feet down and a portal on that ramp and jump down and fly out and you know do this crazy like my brain doesn't understand the math Mm -hmm. but it understands that if i fall a long way and fall through the thing and jump out the other thing then i go to the place that i'm trying to go speedy thing go in speedy thing come out exactly Exactly. portals don't reset your momentum (laughs) that was such a galaxy brain thing to say but not intelligent (laughs) (laughs) devin what was your introduction go for it yeah so i also didn't end up playing i small confession of my own here i've not played portal one the first one i have played through the second and eventually i I have portal one i know the story too and in my defense it's also a lot simpler of a story it's it's pretty well it's a very short game it was six hours of gameplay it's very short yeah which i mean then makes me look a little bit bad again because if it's only six hours why haven't i just well maybe you didn't know that maybe you were assuming a hundred hour game i don't know uh, maybe originally, but I, I definitely ended up playing Portal 2 before, you know, Portal 1, which these things happen. But uh, I played Portal 2 in high school as well. So, and, and I, I had roughly the same, the same experience of, it's like, wow. Because you can get real funky with your puzzles when you have portals. And the the phrase, you know, now you're thinking with portals if you're not, you're not going to make it very far. So, I mm-hmm. uh, Portal 2's story is also one. It's in my top five of like favorite video games for sure, because of the story. Yeah, and one of the things that we're probably going to talk a lot about here. I mean, in the podcast called Folded Sheets and Story Beats, is narrative and how it why did you sound unsure about the title of the podcast chris <laughs> why you, did you out sound unsure? i didn't have to look into the corner to make sure i knew it it was all good. are you <laughs> <laughs> what but it doesn't uh, just roll off your tongue <laughs> what do you with the flip it's so catchy <laughs> for sass sure catchy God. anyways is uh, puzzle narrative we're gonna talk a lot about we that. should make people f- we should make people pass a test before they come on this show <laughs> yeah like have accomplished all of the requisite material beforehand <laughs> God, like play awesome. play the games beforehand Shut up. stop 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 from your <laughs> that's own not what podcast. this is i meant like what was our first laundry tip I don't As know. you were saying, Chris. <laughs> Do you remember it? <laughs> nope. Sorry, we were Chris, talking I cut about you off. narrative. You deserve it, but I'm cutting you off. <laughs> but I think Portal 2 really excels in its narrative. I think that's why it makes such a compelling story, is because the puzzles themselves are interesting, but what compels you to finish each puzzle is knowing what the next conversation with Gladys is that you're going to have. And there's they're one-sided conversations. They have no right to be as entertaining as they are. But they're phenomenal. And then when yeah. you meet others as well, Wheatley and others are introduced, those conversations kind of take on an even deeper depth, and they're just so compelling. All right, I need to say something, and this, this is going to blow your mind, but I'm going to make the argument here mm-hmm. that Portal 2 is an unlikely friend's story, where you, what? the player, 
become unlikely friends with the previous game's antagonist, GLaDOS, because she gets turned into a potato and you carry her through the game. And you get to listen to her. And even though she tried to kill you last game, she's snarky and fun. And then at the end of the second game, you restore her to her former glory. And then she doesn't kill you. And then she doesn't kill you. You have become something of friends. Yeah, I I agree. Unlikely unlikely friend story. Counter argument. Portal 2 is a likely friend story between you and the companion cube who never yeah, ever shut, let shut you up. down despite <laughs> all that you put it through. <laughs> 50 people who just listened to that were like, what? (laughs) No, half of them. Half of them have played Portal and know exactly what he's talking about. (laughs) Ambitious podcast listening numbers there. 50. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to our one listener in Germany. Shout out to my mom who will listen to this next year. (laughs) Oh, that's probably me. I just use the VPN. (laughs) Are you the reason I have... A listener in Germany and Philippines and France. Probably something like that, you know. Yeah. Probably. Nigeria. I'm sure it's a VPN. I thought we had a prince listening to us. But to build upon your concept there, Eli, I really like the fact that Portal 2 from the bat gives you a clear direction of narrative by literally just dropping you down a very, 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 very deep hole. And you know that the objective of the game is to get out of that hole and to replace the guy that shoved you into it. And so you have somewhere to go from there, somewhere to climb. But the, the, the one compelling factor is that the, the only person there to help you is literally your worst enemy. They're now your only hope to escape. Mm-hmm. And she was this all-powerful entity who is now a potato. <laughs> She values your life like nothing. You are an insect to her, but you are also her only hope at escaping her fate. So you two do have to come together. The birds are absolutely going to eat the potato that she has been placed in, if not for you. The main antagonist of the first game is a computer system named GLaDOS. And she, in the second game, is still the bad guy until a new friend of yours named Wheatley... Also an AI. Also an AI. Kicks her out of her esteemed position puts her all of her data in a potato and chucks you and glados chucks you and the potato down a very very deep hole like chris said yeah glados is this character that we're talking about wheatley is the main antagonist of the game just basic info for you there Mm -hmm. and while it is wonderful that wheatley is this just complete idiot we also get this backstory as you are climbing out of this pit that he drops you down to of the founder of Aperture Science Laboratories, Cave Johnson. And it's fascinating to me how what we learn about Cave Johnson while in these dilapidated puzzles that are slowly like crumbling as you attempt to escape them mm-hmm. turns out to be fundamental to understanding who GLaDOS is and the nature of the mm-hmm. entire system that you are trying to undermine here. So it's fasc- mm-hmm. fascinating to me and really satisfying because... The game could be just a bunch of unconnected puzzles as you try and like climb out of this pit, but yeah. you're learning through narrative the keys to solving this puzzle of who everyone is and how they fit into this story overall. 
And that I find to be really satisfying. How did we get here? Who are we? Who were we? And how do we use that to get out alive? <laughs> now, can we contrast that with the Talos principle in how its mechanics function in service of the story? Or don't, maybe? That'd be a good way of going about it. Give us a brief overview of the Talos principle, though, Dev. Okay, so the Talos principle is a game where you very quickly realize that you're an android. You're a robot. And you wake up and this voice in the sky declares himself Elohim. He is your god and you have been placed in his garden. And your objective in his garden is to solve puzzles. And as you go about solving these puzzles, you get little tokens. They're just Tetris looking pieces basically and you use those to then further advance because there are different doors there are three different worlds basically where you as the player are located so you start off in this greco-roman world and then there's the egyptian world and then the third one is kind of like medieval and so the space where you can travel between these three lands is this frozen island and there is an enormous tower and Elohim tells you you can go anywhere in my garden but you're not allowed to go into this tower and so you of course end up going into the tower the the idea the the big theme behind this one is is what is consciousness what does it mean to be alive and sapient and you get these messages that have been left behind by a human someone who is working on this thing called the talos principle and you end up picking up these clues that something horrible happened to humanity and humanity has humanity is no more but as they were dying they set in motion this program this thing that would be a way to prove sapient conscious life in a machine and so it's kind of like one more step than maybe the turing test where eventually the idea being you have to solve these problems and you have been told not to go to this tower and you can see evidence of all of these past iterations of this program of this intelligence that have failed to be alive. But when you go through for the first time, you pass the test because you disobey God. You disobey Elohim, you ascend the tower. And in so doing, you become alive. You prove that and then you are released out into the world to hopefully reclaim it from the ashes of humanity. This game sounds really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Hmm. It's almost like I really wanted you to play it or something. <laughs> I could just, as I was as I was describing that, I could just see, like, like what? Wait, what? These awesome moments on <laughs> your face. <laughs> My face. Of, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Exploring consciousness through the body of an android. Is, that's a really intriguing concept. The, the other character... I, I would say, comparing and contrasting between the two, the GLaDOS equivalent 
kind of the, I don't know if I, antagonist maybe? What do you think, Chris? Is The Milford Library assistant? Yeah. So there's this database that is supposed to contain all kinds of stuff, but it's a little bit corrupted. And so you have to try and like work through that and get an admin account and things like that that you do throughout the game. But there is this voice in the machine that whereas you are Adam or Eve and God is there running the program, this library assistant is kind of set as the the serpent in the Garden of Eden kind of thing. Hmm. And so they kind of help you, the decisions you make there also kind of play a part in uh, how your test goes, basically. Interesting that you use puzzles to sort of display morality there, right? In that if you do the thing that the game like, I feel like puzzles, generally, there's a, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And mm-hmm. the puzzle is to figure out how, what's the way? What's the way forward? How do I progress? How do I, how do I set my portals up so that I go flying out the exit? And so in a game like the Talos Principle, where the puzzle is, how do you defy the puzzle? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's a cool, sub, almost a subversion. I So, Chris, I think you... Because I watched you a little bit while you were playing the Talos Principle. How do you feel the game did using the puzzles compared to how Portal used the puzzles to yeah. drive the narrative? Yeah, that's a good a good question. Because I feel like we talked about the thinking with Portals and how much of a mind shift that is mm-hmm. for you. And I've played other games, games like Manifold Garden, that really shift your mind into thinking about that perspective it like almost makes you walking around the next day being like man i wish i could push a portal there or push a portal there uh oh yeah i remember like that exact thing like, i remember be- driving to school and being like wow that building there if i could get a portal there and a portal by the school <laughs> i wouldn't even have to drive to school i could just yeah. drive through the wall of my garage and just like having those real like conscious thoughts like wow I'm think like you're thinking with portals. Like mm-hmm. if I could get a portal on that wall and then a ceiling over there, then I could fit to do to do. And it, it, it's it's a made up science yeah. that they threw together for this game. And mm-hmm. yeah, but thinking with portals, like even when you're not in in game, definitely. I've I've also had that same experience. I think I think a huge aspect of both games. It sounds like is the freedom of choice that once in portal, once they give you the portal gun and it's fully charged with all the with the two kinds of portals that you can use mm-hmm. and they give you a room to figure out that's when the game hits its stride because then it is just you and this really neat toy that they've given you and and the sense of satisfaction when you use it the way it's intended to get you out of the room mm-hmm. i think i feel like well chris did you finish your thought I cut him between... off so long ago. Let's see if he can even remember what he was talking you're about. You're good. You're good. Yeah, I'll finish it real quick. It's just that in the Talos principle, I feel like you're given these logic puzzles, and it's not so much a matter of this mechanic shifts my reality because I don't interact with Gatling guns or explosives or force field balls all that often in real Jammers life. Or... Yeah, so yeah. those things didn't really like translate to my real life, but what I was thinking about were these philosophical quandaries that are put to you by Milford and just by the texts that you are reading of ancient Greek philosophers exploring the nature of consciousness. And so I feel like while Portal explores 
more of that physical manipulation and that interest of comedic narrative. Mm-hmm. I feel like Talos' specialty is in philosophical narrative and helping to you, you to explore what it really means to be a conscious entity. Yeah. One thing, too, is I feel like Portal's story is more linear than Talos because the Talos principle has multiple possible endings depending on how you what uh, what choices you make basically so like you can the 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 hardest one is you have solved all the puzzles you've gotten through all the doors and you have defied god and you ascended the tower then there's the you did all that and you got to the point where you needed to either stick to your guns and continue defying or to go back down the tower and that's a different ending where you returned to the garden. But there's also the possibility to become a messenger, which there are, you can unlock these different, they're called messengers. If you're stuck on a, a particularly difficult puzzle, you can basically get a hint and these, these messengers you can unlock and they can then show up to give you your hint. There is an option, a, a way to play the game such that you become one of these. And so you remain there sealed away until the next person needs help kind of thing. So there's there is a number of different ways to, a, n- a number of different endings to the Talos Principle. I feel like the puzzles themselves maybe play less of a narrative part in the Talos Principle compared to Portal, but... I, I, I agree with your analysis, Chris. I think that the kind of story being told in the Talos Principle is certainly more philosophical versus maybe a little bit more definitely comedic in, in Portal. Maybe a little more Hollywood-esque. It's a little bit more action-y. Mm-hmm. You're reading through a lot of old Greek texts in Talos, which to some people is super fascinating, but can be a mm-hmm. little dry for others. For sure. But I think it's fascinating that it explores this concept of in order to succeed at the game, theoretically, you have to break the rules. And for any good puzzle game, I feel like that's a key moment when if you're just following everything that is taught to you, and usually a good Mm -hmm. puzzle game has a, a progression of instruction, but if you just continue to follow those things, you're never going to have that eureka moment that drives you forward, that gives you the satisfaction of having gone above what the puzzle expected of you mm-hmm. and good puzzle games in my opinion invite you to break those rules in some way talos it's these extra little star puzzles that you can go for that are outside of the main objective and they're annoying mm. as all get out but once you figure they're one so out hard. boy you get so satisfied it's so nice yeah, that that reminds me of the end of portal one i mean in portal one you get the portal gun and then you're assigned like 20 tasks and you complete them linearly and you are just following instructions and then you are doing the tests the whole game you're promised if you complete all the tasks we'll give you some cake and then at the end of the game instead of cake you're put on a platform and the platform takes you into a, a, a pit of fire and you're intended it's like they're gonna kill you but the cake is a lie you get the eureka moment as you're it's as the game is saying sorry we lied to you you're going to die now there are a couple walls where you can put portals and you just get the eureka moment. Like I am not in, a, I'm not in a puzzle anymore. I'm not in one of these these rooms that the, the AI wants me to solve. It wants me to die. But instead, 
I'm going to use what I've learned so far to get the heck out of here. And that was that's a really cool eureka moment of this yeah. this paradigm shift of I am no longer doing what I've been taught. I'm going to do what it takes to survive. One of my favorite examples of this comes from Portal 2, the very end, because in the process of playing through this game, which is significantly longer, it's like, what, 30 hours-ish? Yeah. Compared to Portal 1's, like, 6. And so you get, as you're ascending from the bowels of this ancient... Ancient, it's from, like, the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, the like, in, the game takes place way, way, way in the future. True. So by it's, then, it's yeah, ancient. True. It is actually ancient, not just ancient like it is but that us. is a good joke that like it's ancient and it's the 70s it's the 70s it's ancient um <laughs> but yeah it's set in the future so it actually is ancient in the game but you're in this science facility and you're learning about like chris mentioned you're learning about the founder of this company and how he went bankrupt because well a number of things but one of the things is questionable he, testing the the portal technology is apparently you learn made from moon rocks that got ground up. And so portal material, portal walls that you can use to solve these puzzles that you've been doing throughout this, this whole game, they're a specific color and you can put portals on them. And it's, it's just ground up moon rocks. Mm. And he bankrupt himself buying just tons and tons of moon rocks. So this is a, a just a, a bit of the story that you learn as you're going through the game. And then at the very end, you're about to die because this robot is intent on killing you. And there have been explosions and this, uh, this space that you've been fighting has deteriorated to the point that you can see the outside. And the full moon is shining through this hole in the ceiling. And there's nothing else, but you've got your portal gun. And it's, it's, it's like so good. Wait. the game like pans your camera for you. Like it it doesn't no one says anything. It just pans a little bit to your portal yeah. gun cuz your character is mute. The moon. Yeah, exactly. And then it's that that eureka moment of like, "Oh wait. Portal material. The moon." And so you legit shoot the moon and then put a portal in the space with you and it sucks the bad guy out into space. Like that so moment good. is so good and it is very well done and you just feel like oh my gosh i am so smart i can't believe and that worked yeah i'm in space it's a good moment i'm in space <laughs> and it's what's truly satisfying about portal because this whole time you are going through these old puzzles and kind of just exploring like a history here i would say it's interesting because like portal kind of forces you through this narrative you don't really have that many choices about what you do it's just how you solve these mm -hmm. puzzles, which generally has a fairly linear direction. Mm -hmm. It's just so darn engaging that you forget how linear it is because you've taken a long Oh, for sure. But in my opinion, because it's a game and games require you to mm -hmm. have a certain level of a, a learning, a tutorial, mm -hmm. it's a safe environment in which you're able to learn the principles that you need mm -hmm. for what really is the piece de resistance of this entire narrative, which is your fight with Wheatley. Mm -hmm. Like everything builds to that moment of the part where he ki kills you, literally. They even the give you an achievement for you. it. It's so good. Um, and so puzzle games, what makes them satisfying is the way that they take these building blocks and they prepare you for that moment of eureka, that aha moment, and prepare you to use them in new and exciting and fast-paced ways that you weren't prepared to use them for before. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, so I've got a uh, little bit of a theoretical for you, a little bit of a puzzle. Okay. Hit me with it. I'm pretty good with puzzles. I haven't pl- I haven't played as many as you. <laughs> and maybe this is my punishment. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you failed to even start the Talos principle. I have placed you in a watertight room. Oh no. And it is slowly filling with water. Oh. And I have given you a white shirt and it has a stain on it. And I give you this information that the stain is red wine. Okay. And in this room, there is a table (laughs) with four spray bottles. Okay. And each spray bottle is labeled. Okay. One is labeled Kool-Aid. Okay. One is labeled vinegar. Okay. One is labeled white wine. And one is labeled bleach. Your task is to get the red wine stain out of your clothing before the room fills with water. Which of these are you picking? Okay, Isaac, put some like intense like thinking music here. Not the Jeopardy, <laughs> not the Jeopardy theme. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. My shirt. I'm not gonna use. Uh, I'm not gonna use Kool Aid because Kool Aid is that's just a stain by itself. I have red wine. What color is my shirt? It's a white shirt. Um. Um. Chris, assuming you want to help him out of this death trap, do you? How, how high is the water on me right now? Is it at my waist? It's at waist high at this point. Yeah, waist high. All right, it's a good thing. It's a good thing I'm a founding member of Folded Sheets and Story Beats because guess what? I know the answer. The answer is white wine. Yeah. Fact. You can use white wine to remove red wine stains from your clothes. The white wine acts as a dilutant for the red wine. They work together, and then you sponge that puppy up with a with a bit of cloth takes both the white and the red wine right out. Backed. Boom. I do that. You do that? We take those. There is the sound of draining water. You have succeeded. I flex and celebrate. And then I drink the wine. (laughs) I spray it right in my mouth. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And the Kool-Aid. And the Kool-Aid. Yeah, fun fact. uh, To get Kool-Aid stains out, you don't use the opposite color Kool-Aid. Don't use blue Kool-Aid on red Kool-Aid. Learned that from Troy and Abed, because they learned that the hard way. Thanks, community. This episode sponsored by Community. Good. All right. Ready? I'll start us off. So, I've got a conflict for you. Oh. Another? I just almost <laughs> drowned. I know, I know. There's a lot in one day for you, but I'm sure you'll be all right. You got plenty. Of, this is plenty of wine. This to what tide you when over. I don't com- This is what happens when you don't complete the source material. <laughs> one of these. What could have been avoided? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think that the Talos principle is told through the wrong perspective. Because in my opinion, I find Alexandra's story to be far more narratively compelling. She is, Alexandra Drennan's story is that she is the lead nomadics scientist. She is responsible for figuring out how to create consciousness so that once all of humanity has been wiped off of the planet, Mm -hmm. some form of intelligence can survive. And we hear throughout the game different voice logs of Alexandra's story as she is struggling with the fact that her family is slowly dying, Mm -hmm. her friends are dying, the scientists working with her on this project are dropping off one by one and leaving their projects unfinished or for someone else to finish. 
and it is crumbling around her as we continue throughout the story and she gets vulnerable with us even in some audio logs Mm -hmm. and admits that she doesn't think that she can do this sometimes that she doesn't know whether or not her life's work is going to even be meaningful let alone the fact that it will affect the rest of humanity all depending upon her and so it's interesting more narratively compelling to me to learn about alexandra's story than it is to pursue this consciousness, this effort to obtain consciousness as a program within a machine. Eli and I can talk to about this on a little bit of a different note because this concept that I'm proposing, learning more about it from Alexandra's perspective, is exactly what happens in the video game Horizon Zero Dawn. Well, I was actually, I was gonna bring up Horizon Zero Dawn in the, like in Horizon Zero Dawn, you do the same thing where you find the audio logs of Elizabeth Sobeck, who is under a similar threat that humanity is dying and that we have to come up with something to extend the human legacy. Hmm. And I mean, I, I, like I said, I haven't played the Talos principle, but it sounds like that is something that this Alexandra character is also struggling with, that she's trying to extend the human legacy post the, post the demise of humanity. So I would argue, and, and in horizon zero dawn, you don't play Elizabeth Sobeck. You play Aloy who is, spoiler, a clone of Elizabeth Sobeck. But <laughs> the, the, I mean, I think Aloy's story is a lot more interesting than Elizabeth Sobeck's because Elizabeth is designing this project that will re, like, destroy the world and then rebuild it so that humanity can live on it again. But I don't, I don't think that is a more interesting story than Aloy figuring out why this Earth has robot dinosaurs on it. (laughs) But what motivates Aloy to explore this concept is the fact that she sees these recordings and realizes that she is a lookalike for Elizabeth Sobeck and wants to better understand why she looks exactly like this ancient person and is able to access the same documents that she is because there's a DNA match on her. And so for me, what was truly like motivating about that game was this this connection that you had with a past entity mm-hmm. to be able to better understand it. Whereas in Talos, That's true. you don't have that connection. You're missing the human element. So while you are intrigued by what's going on, you're not mm-hmm. driven to pursue that outcome. Because mm-hmm. there's not that connection with this past person. And since we're talking about AI, interesting. it's interesting that Portal takes elements of people's personas to turn them into these AIs that we end up true. realizing at the end of the game oh, these are the people that we're dealing with. These were like former employees at Aperture that were all turned into AIs for the purpose of running the system once all of the humans are gone. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. GLaDOS Sorry. was a human. <laughs> all, the biggest <laughs> I mean, spoilers. I mean, we're yeah, spoiling yeah. all of the Talos principle for poor Eli over here today, so we might as well spoil Portal 2 for everybody. Yeah. Well, Eli had ample warning. Yeah. But, that's but at this point, I mean... We we spoil stories here. That's what we do. That's yeah. fair. Except Outer Wilds. I will not spoil that. No, and I will get to Outer Wilds. I actually really want to talk about it. But it's just uh, interesting to me how that we crave that human element, that connections that make us unique. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. frankly, at the end of the Talos Principle, I felt a little bit like, yay, I got consciousness. I get to actually interact with the physical world rather than just this program. But I didn't have anyone to share it with. And it made me so sad because I was alone Mm -hmm. in my consciousness. Whereas with Portal, for example, like you are 
learning the humanity of these AIs. In Talos, it's almost like a test to prove your humanity, and you feel like targeted. You're like, no, I'm conscious, and and the Milford Library is like, <laughs> prove it, and you're like, I don't, I don't think I was uh, ready for this. I, but I am human. It's me. I'm Devin. <laughs> you're like, you know, you're human, but it yeah. forces you to try but, and prove it, and you're like, fetch, I don't know how to prove that I'm human to a stupid AI. Yeah. Exactly. I, I like what you mentioned about having someone to share it with because at the end, I think one of the neat moments at the end of Portal 2 is you get this kind of tender moment with you and GLaDOS where like we have gone on this journey together and you hate me and I don't particularly love you because you are intent on destroying me. But for now, we have reached a level of camaraderie where we are going to allow each other to live. And that is a really sweet moment like hey we did it together yeah um, i'm and not horizon... gonna kill you with a bunch of machine guns exactly Yay. so tender and in horizon zero dawn there's that you you have that moment where you don't really connect with elizabeth sobek right she's long long dead but in in at the end of horizon zero dawn you go and find elizabeth sobek's corpse and you kind of have a soft moment with it like hmm. this this is the person that i was cloned after and this is their this is their body and i you know I fought to understand them, and now I feel that I do. In a in a weird way, this kind of was me. Yeah, interesting. I haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn. I've had the the story explained to me, and it's it's very good, very good story. By Chris. Yes, by Chris. Oh yeah, actually. Chris did that. But <laughs> Chris I remember explained that. It. <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah, that style of game is not my preferred, so I was. Completely on board learning the awesome story without having to fight robot dinosaurs. Which is interesting to me. Can we, Okay, let's go into to, to that style of game too. Because I really like that game and I think of it like a high-speed puzzle. Because you are analyzing opponents' movesets, you're helping to better understand like where their weaknesses are, how to apply them. I was thinking about How do this. you guys feel about I, that difference of high-speed puzzles? I think this puzzles. is the same reason that I don't like Dark Souls. This is yeah. This is a slippery slope, right? Because if you say that any game that challenge that makes you solve a thing, that makes you complete a task before it allows you to progress, is a puzzle. If you say that, then every game is a puzzle game. Dark Souls is a puzzle game under those under those d- uh, definitions. That you know you have to learn a thing and then you have to execute a certain move uh, to complete a task and then you may progress. Yeah. And I think they. I think. That's just a basic element of video games. It, you've got to figure this out. We we have put this challenge in front of you. We've given you the tools to to solve the thing, solve the thing, or you don't get to progress. I think puzzle games. I think the inherent element of a puzzle game is that you are not in combat. Mm. Uh, you you're not fighting against or a person. Very very minimally. Mostly your conflict is with the a, usually a setting. It feels yeah. like a setting to me. It, there's an environment around you, and in You've got to get to this location. You've got to open. You've got to put the the key in the lock. You've got to you know place those, the cube on the spot. You know execute these certain actions in this order to get to the place that you need to go. And that is, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like it's a slippery slope to say Horizon Zero Dawn is a puzzle game because you have to figure out which robots do what and how to defeat them. It's an interesting aspect. You're you're analyzing what's called the try, fail, learn, retrial cycle, where you are given a task, so you attempt that task, mm-hmm. you fail at that task, 
you learn something from that failure, hopefully, and then you retry. Roguelites mm -hmm. owe their entire success to this cycle because it is addicting. Mm -hmm. Our brains mm -hmm. love this. This gives us serotonin every single time we try and get a little bit further than we did last time because we, what we learned is what helps us. Mm -hmm. But I find it interesting because in like Horizon Zero Dawn, De Dark Souls, they spend the majority of their time in the learn phase of it because what you're doing is you, you do all of this try you put all this effort in, you fail, and the failure is like just once. You just die, that's it. And mm -hmm. then you learn and retry and apply what you've learned. You've, you've analyzed the Dark Souls boss's moveset, and you realize, okay, when he is doing this, I prepare for it, I dodge out of the way, and then I attack after. In puzzle games, the bulk of the effort is put actually on the first attempt, on the first try. The failure... Well, sorry, it's the bulk of the effort is put on the failure. It's you try and you try and you try and you fail. You're just against the brick wall. Until you figure out the solution, y everything that you're doing is a failure. And so it's really difficult hmm. to balance that motivation with puzzle games where you're led well enough to understand how the puzzle works. Right. You're motivated throughout that, despite the fact that you don't know the answer yet, you're motivated to continue to try even though you're confronted with no clear path to victory. You're stuck in the failure stage until you're not. And it only takes the one time to do that. But then now you're in to the next chamber, failing again at a mm -hmm. new test. Interesting. That's, inter that's interesting because, I mean, it, I know a lot of people, Devin included, who don't want to play a game like Dark Souls because they hate the fail, 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 fail cycle. Because in games like Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, the, you're failing a lot more than you're succeeding. And you, but it, it is a game of I'm getting a little further or I've figured out that move or I, I have learned to not be so greedy with the timing that don't try to get too many hits in because I'll get punished for that. Whereas in, I feel like in puzzle games, I feel like it, I, I don't know, probably that word punishing is, is an important, is a key thing, right? Because the, in Dark Souls, you die and then there's a long walk and there's a lot of enemies between you and the next time you can actually try the thing that you failed at. Whereas in a puzzle game, you fail and it resets that room and you can, you can get right back to it. Mm -hmm. um, there's no real punishment for failure. In fact, I think it's rewarded, greatly rewarded. Do either of you guys play Whereas platformers? In, no. Not, Not really. a lot. No. I feel like platformers are a really good example of that too. Like Hollow Knight does that, where if you die, oh, you're back yeah, like at the Hollow start Knight. of the stage, but you're not back to square one. Ruthless. You understand the principles of what allowed mm -hmm. you to get there. You knew you had to jump at this particular moment, use your dash on mm -hmm. this moment to get to the end. So yeah, it's building mm -hmm. upon those fundamentals. Whereas puzzle games like Portal build upon more base fundamentals of, okay, when I jump from a higher angle and fall into this portal, then I'm going to have enough momentum to pursue few further goals. And then it just repeats until you're like, oh, okay, so I need to mid-air shoot a portal to increase my momentum. That's more difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like, to the it's a different kind of failure in something like a platformer or like a Souls game because I don't feel like I am failing when I'm not able to figure out a puzzle in a room. Whereas I definitely 
it gets pretty frustrating dying to the same boss over and over and over again. And that's the that's the kind of thing I don't like. There's a game, Remnant from the Ashes, that mm-hmm. I actually do enjoy that is a Souls-like type game where it has those aspects of here's a boss, you have to kind of figure out how it works and it's telegraphed fights and learning when to dodge and stuff. And I feel like maybe I enjoy that because it's not quite as punishing like you were talking, Eli, where there's a a save mechanic of kind of like the the campfires in in Dark Souls, but they're typically a lot closer to the boss than you might find in a Souls game where you have to go through an entire level again. So it's a little bit less punishing to go in and fail again to this same boss because you just you're starting the boss over again. You're not going to have to fight your way through or run your way through the entirety of a full level to get back to that spot to then yeah. try again. It's the boss jammer. It's the Zelda mechanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're just getting ready for a boss fight, and that's it. Your 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 puzzle for that moment, and Zelda's a good example because Zelda is a thorough puzzle game. Is mm-hmm. how do I defeat this boss? And I think Zelda. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Zelda for a second because I think Zelda does a phenomenal job of balancing that puzzle versus fighting, fighting style of learning. So you're you're met with both approaches. You're met with these pictures in a wooded temple that you have to rearrange into something to make meaningful things while at the same time you're fighting off bats and you're killing skeletons and then you have a boss at the end that's a just as complicated puzzle as the pictures if not more so but it's a fast moving mm-hmm. puzzle in this fighting genre rather than a puzzle of figuring out where the pictures go interesting i feel like in a yeah i could i could see in a loose sense a lot of games being considered puzzle games, but in mm. in the narrowest sense, Portal, Talos Principle, Manifold Garden, your more standard puzzle game. But. I think something important to learn from this conversation is what this means as far as narrative goes. Mm-hmm. And I think it just means that it's utilizing our, our resistance, our, our motivation drive, right? We understand that our chemical reward system thrives upon encountering resistance. And so there's a dichotomy there between pointing towards a solution, but also giving us enough resistance so that we spark an aha moment in our brain. Mm-hmm. And when writing, that is just as vital. You have to set lanterns for people so that they can believe what's being given to them, mm-hmm. but not point out the answer for them right away so that they have the mm-hmm. room to discover it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to say, hey, these portal walls are made of moon rocks but to not say you can shoot the moon with your portal gun and it will put a portal on there. Yeah. So there's a concept to definitely include. I'm kind of curious, how how would you, you said that you would be more interested if the Talos principle was from Alexandra's point of view. How would you try and do that? Or is that, I don't. It's not so much that she it's not so much that I would do it from her point of view. It's that she was the more compelling character than myself. Like the, the insert protagonist. I don't know why Chell is so fine. I'm fine with Chell being an insert protagonist that literally doesn't say anything completely mute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in Talos, I felt like I was being questioned on my intelligence and my 
consciousness. I know that I'm mm-hmm. conscious. I don't know about intelligent, but I'm conscious. <laughs> Can't call yourself intelligent. I, we went there. We've, no we've one, had this discussion. And so, none in this of call. us in this call can do that. But so my connection to that that mystery is somewhat missing because I'm more interested in Alexandra's story, which we get only piecemeal in these small audio logs. Whereas with Portal, I am curious why I'm here, why Chella is even doing this, why Gladys wants this for her, and is mm-hmm. she ever going to change as a result of that? It's the human element. I. I'm going to posit something perhaps controversial. Let's hear it, Eli. Okay. It is that I feel as though Portal, it, amph- it the lure to Portal is not the story. It is the gameplay. And so th- there is not another more interesting character than Chell to play in Portal because no one else is playing with the Portal gun. Mm. I don't want to play a game, a Portal game, where I don't have the Portal gun. Yeah. I don't want to learn. I don't want to. I don't want to read a story about the people developing the portal gun, and I don't want to read a story about Glados running the tests. I want to play Portal because I have the portal gun, which is a fun toy mm-hmm. to solve puzzles. That's what I want to do. And along the way, you get a really entertaining and satisfying story. Exactly, and it sort of plays out like Chris said linearly, like a movie in front of you. Mm-hmm. Why? Because at the end of every puzzle glados says something or wheatley says something or you accomplish some task that furthers the story and the puzzle completing the puzzle allows the story to continue yeah the talos principle on the other hand you play for the story and for the philosophy Mm -hmm. and the puzzles are a means to that end exactly rather than yeah i could i could see that so devin you've yeah devin you've played manifold garden right yes so also a very very good Eli, one. but you have that's not. a short one too it's like five six so hours. it's no. it's basically what you're describing you're given a cool mechanic and a puzzle but there's no narrative there's no audio beyond really cool sounds i mean there's a really, pretty good soundtrack if I'm beautiful not beautiful soundtrack. but essentially all you're doing is moving blocks to walls so that they can change the color of your environment that's it that's all you're doing. The whole thing is depending on which, like you have your six left, right, forward, back, up, down. Each of those is color coded mm-hmm. and gravity always works. And so as you have to try and like walk around by changing which of those six directions is down basically. And it is mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful visuals. There's no story. And I still enjoyed that. It game. was very, very good. Mm. Not in my top five of all time, because I feel like no. the narrative is just as important for me to feel that connection. Mm-hmm. But it was still a very good puzzle game and on, on one of my top puzzle games, because it is what you're describing. And it allowed me to have that perspective shift of like the whole freaking next day. I was like, man, this would be so much faster if I could just look at that lamp pole, right click, and then just turn gravity downwards for a little bit. Like I wouldn't have to like uh-huh. walk down this long street. I could just soar downwards. No idea how I would land, but that's just what my brain was thinking the week after I played that game. It was so good. Same. But I put it down I put it down for a day and I almost didn't pack it back up for a long time because I wasn't driven by any narrative to find out what happens. I didn't care about mm-hmm. whatever your name is protagonist you are or the color blue getting put into the right box. Like those things were not compelling facts. Yeah. What makes Portal so good is the fact that it has this compelling narrative to drag you mm-hmm. along through the f- 
frankly, surprisingly difficult puzzles that you get put in. Mm-hmm. I feel like there might be a kind of continuum between purely narrative-based puzzle game and purely mechanics-based puzzle game. And I feel like Portal is way further towards the narrative. Manifold Garden is probably about as far in the other direction as you can get where it is purely just kind of a mechanic. Mm -hmm. And then the Talos Principle is not in the middle, but closer to the middle, certainly leaning towards the mechanics-driven kind of game, I would say. That's an interesting... I was going to say this a second ago, but the but one of the pulls to Portal is in that narrative, you know, what am I trying to say? You play, one of the reasons you play is because GLaDOS is mean to you and that's funny. Oh, yeah. She says awful, awful things to you because you're human and to her, she, you don't matter. And that's funny. There's a comedy aspect to that, to the narrative. That is mm-hmm. one of the reasons you come back because GLaDOS being mean is funny. She's hilarious. Look at you, soaring through the air like an eagle, piloting a blimp. (laughs) It's it's just so good. And then Portal 2 adds Wheatley because he's dumb. Yeah. He's so stupid. So dumb. Like, and that's funny. There's a good, there's really good comedy in both of these games. Mm -hmm. Both being Portal 1 and 2. Yeah. I like this dichotomy you've made, the scale of, of narrative versus mechanic driven though, because I feel like Portal isn't even that uh, on that extreme of the spectrum as far as narrative goes. Mm-hmm. I'd throw Inside on the narrative side as well, if either of you have ever played that game. And then I'd throw Outer Wilds as the piece de resistance of narrative puzzle stories. Oh, yeah. Because the narrative is yeah. the puzzle. You're not solving mm-hmm. any Outer Wilds. Yeah, Outer Wilds is to narrative what Manifold Garden is to mechanics, I'd say. Definitely. Oof. God, that was kind of cool that you said that. Yeah, put that in the final draft. Flip. For the next three seconds, you may call Devin intelligent. <laughs> I'm so smart. Not that I'm gonna, but I can. And my time has passed. <laughs> That's it. Time's up. <laughs> but it's true. The I just Outer Wilds is just you are exploring the puzzle of this solar system's narrative, and I refuse to spoil any more than that. Yep. But it's what mm. makes it so satisfying is because. A, it's a, system, a unique system that you can explore from any end. and Any angle of attack works in that game. And B... You can absolutely brute force those puzzles. Just ask Elijah. Yep. Devin watched. Chris watched. I, I got places I wasn't supposed to even know how to get to just because I just kept trying. <laughs> there's, a, there's a brute force puzzle that I recently just figured out for Giant's Deep. I won't spoil it for anyone, but if you know the achievement for breaking through the first puzzle of Giant Steep through Brute Force that I just got, and I was very happy about it. All right, so I've got a visual here on your lovely notes You can't tell the listeners that we have an outline. It's supposed to sound... We we do all of this. We don't have an outline. Devin lied. Sorry. We just... All of this is completely Uh, I can see this lovely not outline. You've got some things called puzzles, and you've got some things called problems. What is that about? Let me tell you. And I feel like we're going to make... If we're going to get into visuals here, we should make a, like, chart 
of puzzle versus problem and then narrative versus mechanic and put all of these games on that chart and give it to everybody because I think that would be really fascinating. That would be really interesting. Someone else should do it. I'm going to build it. Whether or not you want to give it to your listeners is, you know, like your call, but I'm going to build it because it's very fun. Anyways, puzzle versus problem games. So puzzle games are generally thought of as games that rely upon you finding a solution that is more or less planned out for you. Mm-hmm. There is there is a dedicated solution to each puzzle that you face. And while there may or may not be a couple different solutions to create that outcome, there is a path that was planned for you to get to that outcome. Okay. They rely heavily upon these I see what you did there moments where you're really impressed with the creator's prowess in building up to these more complicated puzzles and helping you feel like you are accomplishing something through the early tutorial levels to this point where you're like, oh, these levels are really difficult and ah, I see what you did there. You you made this puzzle. You combined these two aspects of things that I know to make a rewarding puzzle. Mm-hmm. And that's where puzzle games really get their strength. Problem games are freeform solutions to puzzle games. So there is any approach that you can take. There's still one designated outcome that you're hoping to get, but problem games rely upon any number of ingenious solutions to get to that. There are a lot of roguelites. I mean, I would feel like almost every roguelite is a problem game in that you can take any approach, any combination of abilities. They don't give you set puzzles. They just say, all right, this is the boss, but like you can do whatever you want with your deck to try and beat that boss and that is your problem Mm -hmm. that you have to face breath of the wild in my opinion is so popular because it turned what was a puzzle game most of most of the earlier zelda games were puzzle games into a problem solver with puzzle elements the end goal is still the same beat ganon Mm -hmm. but breath of the wild is not a this is the one way to beat ganon game it is a go explore the world figure out how everything works, figure out what the best weapons are, and then take those weapons to go and beat Ganon. However you want. Whichever divine beast you want to go conquer first, by all means. So it's fascinating to me to, to use this dichotomy because it really helps you understand the fundamentals required for you to accomplish satisfaction within your game, and then where your game succeeds in bringing players the experience that they are looking for. So which do you think you prefer? Problem games or puzzle games? I'm going to make a clarifying question. Does this mean that just about every game is on the binary scale of puzzle problem? It's somewhere on the scale. I would say that they're... Like, I I think it's... Based on the definitions you've given, it's hard to find a game that doesn't fall into a puzzle or a problem game, right? Because every game is a complete this task, figure out how to do it. Even if it's something like go... Stack blocks, Tetris. Right. Shoot these guys enough times to win your round. Hmm. I would again in a in a very broad sense I would say mm-hmm. isn't everything a puzzle True. or a problem all of life but puzzle games specifically like we're leaning into this consciousness <laughs> problem now like, what? <laughs> <laughs> am I even here what the f- <laughs> what's going on it's but if we let's uh, I, I like this question I like this sort of other scale this new axis but I do think we should probably scale it down, tighten our scope to puzzle games. I mean, 
Maybe, I mean, I guess if we're just making an x-axis of mechanics versus narrative and a y-axis of puzzle versus problem, mm-hmm. I guess you could take that as far as it needs to go. But like if we're, like our, our little square graph, our little plot system here is going to kind of be narrowed in on the center. Yeah, let's let's set enormous. some limits to this graph. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I do want to answer your question though, Chris, of what's my favorite puzzle versus problem i'm absolutely a problem i don't even i don't play a lot of puzzle games just because i don't know i don't know if i'd have it because because that's the games i tend to play there's a problem <laughs> in fact i feel like the games i play are often there's a lot of other aspects that make me pick them so i feel like the like i play i play some games because Devin has them <laughs> so i can play with him i feel like um I don't know. On that kind of scale, I feel like I probably fall fairly in the middle there. I, on, on the scale of puzzle versus problem, I feel like I can. I'm not particularly drawn one way or the other. I feel like more important to me is going to be your narrative versus mechanics, and in that side, I'm definitely going to fall more. T- typically, often towards the narrative side. Yeah, I think I'm a narrative problem player. Like, uh, there's a story, and it's your job to overcome the odds. That's kind of the story that I tend to... That's the game I tend to play. I'm playing Halo right now. Mm-hmm. I'm playing Halo Reach. That game's got a crazy story, man. It's sad. Mm-hmm. But there's no part... Like, there's no, like... There's no puzzle, right? I play on easy mode so that I can walk through the enemy because I don't particularly <laughs> care about the shooting aspect. Yeah, It's fun. I like being the guy that can just kill everything and continue but um that's a problem right the problem is the bad guys are here they're gonna they're trying to kill you solve that problem <laughs> yes yeah. not kill, kill them complex. before they can con- <laughs> before they kill you so let me throw some games at you and i want to know your opinion on whether or not they exist more on the problem scale or more on the puzzle scale no cheating and looking at okay. the notes <laughs> oh, sh- they're right in front of me. What notes? There are no notes. The notes oh, yeah. exist. There's no outline. Right. <laughs> okay. So, Manifold Garden. Manifold Garden, very, very, very far towards the mechanic side, like we already said. And then. Puzzle mechanic, yeah. That's yeah. mechanic. Puzzle, puzzle. puzzle mechanic, it's in that corner very square. Okay. Portal. Portal, I would put it puzzle halfway between. Narrative. I would put it halfway between zero and so it, okay. we're going to try a puzzle and, mechanic. Actually, that's, that's another puzzle mechanic, but it's pretty close to the zero axis. Yeah. Zero if, if one is pure, any of our axes. So a, a one is a pure narrative or puzzle or mechanical or problem. I would put it at like a 0.5 for narrative and Definitely like a point eight or something on the the puzzle side. This is probably so boring to listen to. Like, just listener, just so you know, we don't have this graph in front of us. We do not. We, we are, are making it up too. I'll, I'll get to right some now. of the more complicated ones because I feel like that'll that'll give you a little bit more to talk about. Subnautica. Have you guys played Subnautica? Mm, Where oh, is yeah. Subnautica on this list? Ooh, that feels like. I mean, it's it's very heavily narrative and that's problem that doesn't feel puzzly to me asterisk i haven't played subnautica i've watched devin play subnautica 
I don't know about that one. On the other hand, too, it is... I don't know. Does the fact that you're constantly having to scrounge and let grind for materials, does that make it more mechanics-based than narrative? Because if it does, then that drags it a little bit more towards the mechanic side, which is like my one big flaw with Subnautica. I love that game, but I'm not always a huge fan of the grinding up of materials to build a base and machines. I would, and I would point it back to what drives the story, and I feel like the narrative of Subnautica unfolds almost without you. Like... The sun reach, I think it's called, is going to try and come for you regardless. Sun the sunbeam is going to try and come for you regardless of whether or not you're ready to get to its landing site. So, like, that's going to happen True. regardless. You, there are some yeah. points that you have to reach. You have to enter the aurora at some point and try and figure things out there. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a lot of mechanics that require you to, to be skilled to get there. But, yeah, I'd say it's somewhere in the middle, obviously. But I, I think that's an interesting yeah. one to explore. Yeah, I'm not sure what I think about the whole puzzle versus problem one for Subnautica, though. Honestly, okay, that's a that's here's a, good one. a. I mean, I feel like games like Subnautica and Minecraft and and like get your resources and survive based games. That's a problem, right? Your yeah. problem is survive. Yeah, true. Are you going to die? And that's like a that's the simplest way of putting it. But like, mm-hmm. if, if that axis extends into infinity, then absolutely your problem. One of your problems is. I'm going to die. die. <laughs> Don't die. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Let's do like one or two more Let's maybe. Let's do one more tough one. The Stanley Parable. Ooh. That's that not a puzzle. One. That's just like a, you're experiencing it. That's a, that's a. See, I can't, I, I can't say problem. one way or I can't say with any confidence because I haven't, I, I have gotten an ending? Just that's one, one with a ending? lot of endings, right? How have you only got, gotten one, one ending to the Stanley Parable? Yeah. It's like the door, so you just go whatever door you want. I've Yeah, I've played through like a handful of, of endings that way. I got my favorite, the one that I distinctly remember is the buttons ending. The button ending's the worst. <laughs> I love Especially that one. the one it's that requires you to so like hard. click it for an hour. Yeah, that's great. The button ending. You end up just in a room of buttons and you are stuck there until you quit. And while you're pushing all of these buttons, it just says buttons, buttons. That's the whole soundtrack. It's fantastic. Yeah, that one, uh, yeah, I don't know. Again, I haven't played that enough to definitively say, I feel like. That sounds like puzzle. I don't know. The way you define puzzles is that there's one way, right? There's one solution. And Stanley Parable is absolutely a, there's a lot of different, endings and there's one way to get each ending and all of them are you're supposed to get all of them are intentional we've designed them for all uh, the point of the game is to have a bajillion different ways to complete it mm-hmm. and they're all different so that is a i think it listed as a puzzle as a problem sorry yeah i think i'm with you on yeah. that one because i think at its fundamental core and if anyone's still confused about this dichotomy hopefully this will clear it up it's the the freedom of the narrator if the narrator is free to solve the puzzle however they want, it's a problem game. Yeah. And in Stanley Parable, you can solve the puzzle however you want. It's just mm-hmm. a different yeah. outcome depending upon which solution you choose. Hmm. Well, sheesh. Is there anything else we want to say about puzzle games before we move on to our... I don't know. I, I, feel, like, I feel like this is a really fun kind of story because it this is this is our third time talking about 
a game of some kind, and our second yeah. time specifically talking video games, I feel like one of the most compelling parts of video games as a medium at large is just the required input from you because you can sit down and read a book or the the you know you are sorry you are actively participating in the story mm -hmm. when you play a game whereas all other forms you are an inactive part you are just there to absorb the story as presented and so in particular puzzle games are a fun subgenre because they really, really need your input in order to happen. And there's a lot of variability in what kind of story can be told based on your input. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. That, that's what makes exactly. games so satisfying, is because they give, you, they give you just enough resistance to make it difficult. Mm -hmm. And then they give you just, an, just little enough resistance for you to be able to succeed. And then once you've tasted that success, like it's a high that drives you through the next puzzle and the next and the next and the next until it's 3 a.m. and you're like an hour from finishing Portal 1 and you're like, gosh dang, this game is so good. I should go to bed. Hmm. Let's talk about the social factor because Portal 2 introduces a mechanic that I love in puzzle games and it's co-op mode. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that mm. you are no longer competing against this puzzle yourself you have someone to bounce ideas off of and someone whose help you requ are required to use in order to finish this. Mm -hmm. How do you guys feel that affects your puzzle experience? Well, I, before I answer your question, the the game of the year at the Game Awards last year, in tw 2021's Game Awards, was It Takes Two. It's a two-player co-op puzzle game Yeah, where you have to work together to solve a task to progress. And so it there's there's got to be like I, you don't see a lot of these co-op puzzle games because they're probably really hard to design and it's hard to I play them because imagine, you have yeah. to you have to find someone who's going to play with you. But it, this is a this is a really cool kind of game. Now your question was what the what was your question what? <laughs> How do you feel social factors affects your puzzle game experience? I enjoy the social aspect of video games to the point that I actively try to avoid competitive type games and really gravitate towards purely cooperative ones. Mm -hmm. So like with, yeah, I, I like co-op and so taking a puzzle game and making it co-op is really fun because also the puzzles can get insane. Any, any, yeah. And I, like like Elijah mentioned, I think that they're probably not super common because of what I imagine to be the immense overhead required on the part of a game dev in creating puzzles that work like that because that's just wild. <laughs> My brain certainly does not work that way. I have a hard For, enough time solving those puzzles, let alone like, coming up with puzzles. In Portal, by yourself, there are some really intricate inputs that you have to put in, uh, timing-wise and and you know precision-wise, to complete a task. You add another player into that, and all the things that they have to do at the same time that you're doing to complete a task, it like you are suddenly asking a lot of creativity from your players. Like yeah. what if what? How about we try you stand you stand there on that button while I do this move over here with this item, and then we perform our tasks at the same time to see if maybe 
that's the solution. Yeah. I feel like also making a puzzle game co-op is really going to sh- it's really going to shift or skew what like where on that four-way graph that we've created because like I can't Oh, no. I am a liar. I can I just I was going to say I can't think of a game where the narrative can be that super important in a co-op game, but I just remembered one that I played once and it was actually oh, I feel pretty like cool. It takes it two had uh, I don't know what the it narrative was, was narrative. but I know that it was I remember people talking about it that the story itself was very good. We were here. Never heard of it. Is another one that I played once. I've got I don't know how many hours in this I have, but it's uh, it's one where you go in and it's a co-op puzzle game, and it's got a fun little fun little story, and yeah, it's it's fairly narrative driven. So I feel like, but something like Portal's co-op mode has next to no narrative. It is pure mechanics almost. Which I feel like is probably a normal like anytime you're gonna take a puzzle game and make it co-op, there's gonna be at least some shift towards mechanics versus narrative. I think it would be interesting to explore like and if anybody knows of a game like this that exists, let me know because I really wanna play it now that we've thought of it. I would love to know a game where one player gets certain elements of the narrative, the other player gets another element of the narrative and you combine those to create a solution to the puzzle. That would be phenomenal to me. It's called Dungeons we were here. and Dragons. <laughs> we were here. I'll, I'll okay. have to play with okay. you sometime, Chris. Go ahead, Eli. What were you going to say? Cool. That was it. That was making a stupid <laughs> joke. That's it. I'm sorry I interrupted your joke <laughs> for my intelligent comment. That's uh, okay. No, you don't, get to, you don't get to do that. Not using that word. But it's just fascinating to me because I feel like the social factor really shifts the motivations from this intrinsic, I want to succeed and beat this puzzle to this extrinsic, I want to cooperate with someone to help solve this. And it, it would never work for games like Talos or like Outer Wilds, I think. But for the games that it does work well for, I find them fascinating. And I am super motivated because I'm a super social mm-hmm. person. I'm super motivated by those extrinsic forces. Like if you guys are watching me, I'm far more likely to actually finish the game. But the, the moment you add a social aspect to a puzzle game, you are then walking a fine line. Because the moment you have two people trying to solve one task, they're going to start screwing around. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ask too much. St- I, feel, I, I mean, maybe I mean, you can, to be fair. But I feel like it's hard to ask two people to take a, a task and a narrative seriously if you've given them tools to solve a puzzle. And, like, there's an inherent level of goofiness involved there because people get together online to screw around. And, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe games like, um, what's that, Dragon Age or, like... Uh, divinity where you work together to like complete things it's a, there's a role playing aspect mm-hmm. then that's a different story but like in, in, inherently in puzzles you are going to get like you you can't expect too much depth in your narrative are you telling me and I don't know you if you saying. have played through Portal 2 co-op but are you telling me that your friend never told you okay shoot a portal beneath me and then shoot it out here and you never shot it over <laughs> a pit of lava because that absolutely happens and it's a 
integral part of the story. It's hilarious uh-huh. every single time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this has been good. I think we got to wrap it up, though. Let us finish with our featured setting. This week, our featured setting is secret spaces. Now, what do I mean by that, Elijah? A secret space is a place that one character knows about that other people don't. And it's not, um, it's different than a sanctuary, right? Because Mm -hmm. in the past, uh, we've talked about sanctuaries where a sanctuary is a place that is, uh, there's emotional investment there. I feel like a secret space generally doesn't have that much emotional value to a character. It is simply a place that they are hiding from other people for whatever reason. Or something Um, is hidden from your characters. Something like a trapdoor or things like that. The villain's secret lair is often a secret space because it is a place they're trying to avoid. One that's very cool that is a little bit maybe different than what you were thinking is the room of requirement in Harry Potter. It's a place that you can't just get to. Mm, mm -hmm. It, It becomes available when it's necessary, which is interesting to me because I feel like a lot of times in stories, when you're telling a story, the secret space doesn't become available to the characters until it's absolutely plot necessary. Interesting. So a room of requirement is basically just a secret space with some magic added onto the door, right? It is It is deus ex machina in a room. Yeah. It is the room <laughs> of deus ex. <laughs> it's the room where we have been saved. Hmm. Interesting. Chris, you're allowed to talk right now. We're not... I just You're thought of silence. it. I was just thinking of different secret spaces, and I realized the Magic Treehouse might be actually a pretty dang good one because it's kind of where they climb. Like It's like their little tree fort, and they climb up there to hide from whatever the problems they're facing in the day. But then they use it as a teaching opportunity to overcome the problem that they needed to learn. And I would back. argue that the Magic Treehouse is more of a sanctuary yeah, than a secret space. Right? Hmm. A secret space is a... You pull a certain door on a bookshelf, uh, pull a certain book on a bookshelf, and a door opens. And, oh, it was a secret. And then you go in, and it's damp, and it's dark, and and there's torches. Or you hit a hinge or find that secret button, and Mm -hmm. a wall spins around, and suddenly you're in a high-tech, like, Dexter's Mm -hmm. lab or, you know, the Batcave or, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't have to be dark and damp yeah it could be high tech too yeah there's the the bat cave a a lot of superhero secret spaces are very very fun because they're not sanctuaries in that there's no real like the joker never gets into the bat cave as far as i know but like the in sanctuaries often the sanctuary is violated as a subversion i feel like a secret space you can't really violate it because there isn't an emotional value to it Mm -hmm. scooby-doo I feel like Scooby-Doo, it really leans on finding the bad guy's secret lair. Typically. Or their secret, you know, mechanic or whatever it is that they're doing to be a monster kind of thing. So what makes... To decrease the value of their so land. So what makes a good secret when you're trying to write a secret in a story? What makes one secret more compelling than another? Like a secret space? Hmm. I would feel like it, it becomes... It's most interesting when... Or it's it's most entertaining when um, I feel like I the one that is secret to the antagonist 
is going to be more entertaining to me. I like a secret space that my protagonist use and is able to utilize to great effect. That feels more satisfying to me mm-hmm. rather than finding one that, you know, in your time of need and, oh, we found this secret room or... I was thinking of uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse with Miles Morales. That too. Mm. Where he, they go to Aunt May's house and Aunt May has Peter Parker's old secret space. And mm-hmm. they take this super high-tech elevator down into the underground and there's all the cars and the suits lined up. Mm-hmm. And, and the other Spider-Men from the other universes are there. But then later in the film, he returns to that secret space to get his own spider-man suit yeah and to equip himself with his tools to go and save the other spider-man i think we can all that's a cool that's a cool secret space it it has the tools necessary but they weren't of they wouldn't have solved the problem earlier that was a cool i I think that's a cool use of a secret space he goes in earlier and all the spider-man suits are there but the suits aren't the things that are going to help him suit doesn't fit him yet yeah that was deep for the next one second, we can call Devin intelligent. <laughs> but we're not I'm going so to. Ah, too late. You died. You did. You <laughs> oh, took man. too long to say it. <laughs> Time's over. All right. Cool. Well, we got to wrap this up. So thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure having you. Time. We've decided to stop telling you what's coming next. You'll just have to be surprised next week. Yep. That said, it's going to be next week. We're, we're back in the week. flow. It's Happy New Year, baby. It's 2022 year of weekly podcast episodes it's always been weekly it was never not weekly 2021 was also the year of weekly podcast episodes to resolutions then (laughs) (laughs) all right big thanks to chris for coming and and pushing this conversation about puzzles that was a cool cool conversation um thank you to the listener for listening i guess we'll see you next time on folded sheets and story beats Really quick, plugs. Go read my book, Column Mercury. It's on Kindle Vela. It will be on Kindle Vela for a little while, and then it's going to move over to Kindle Store. So if you can't find it on Kindle Vela, it's on Kindle Store by Elijah Woodhouse. It's done. It's done. It's very good. Lovely ending. We're on Twitter, Woodhouse FSASB, on Instagram. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach out to us via email at sheetsandbeats.com at gmail.com. Thanks.